Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shops the aisles of history to bring you a new story every day. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're taking a fond look back at the golden age of Sears, including the day when the humble mail-order service began its transition into a brick-and-mortar giant. The day was February 2nd, 1925. American retailer Sears opened its first apartment store in Chicago. The company had thrived for decades as a mail-order firm, shipping merchandise to rural consumers who otherwise had limited access to shopping. However, in the early 20th century, many of those customers began moving to cities where they had little need of mail-order catalogs. The trend toward urbanization, including the steady rise of the automobile, put Sears in danger of losing its market. Rather than clinging to the past, though, Sears chose to get with the times. If the bulk of its customers had set up shop in cities, then Sears would do the same. The story of Sears began in 1886, when a 22-year-old man named Richard Sears was bored at work. He was a telegraph operator and station agent at a railroad in North Redwood, Minnesota. And while it wasn't the liveliest job in the world, the downtime allowed Sears to start a side hustle, selling lumber and coal to supplement his income. One day, a shipment of pocket watches came in on a train, but the local jeweler refused to sign for the order. It turned out the watches were part of a popular scheme of the era. Companies would send unsolicited merchandise to small-town retailers and then offer to let them keep the accidental shipment, at a deeply discounted price. The local jeweler was apparently wise to the scheme and wanted nothing to do with the watches. But Richard Sears sensed an opportunity. He bought the unwanted watches himself and began selling them to other railroad workers up and down the line. 
Over the next few months, he was able to turn his $50 investment into a $5,000 profit. Emboldened by that success, Sears decided to double down. Within six months, he had quit his job, ordered more watches, and established the R.W. Sears Watch Company. One year later, business was so good, he moved the company to Chicago and began producing a mail-order catalog to advertise his wares. That early version of the Sears catalog was a far cry from the hefty tomes the company would later distribute. Not only was it less than 100 pages, it also advertised nothing but watches. That said, it did include something revolutionary in its own right. The first recorded, unconditional money-back guarantee. From a marketing perspective, it was a great idea, lending a sense of security to the otherwise dicey prospect of sending a stranger money through the mail. But in practice, the policy was a headache from the start. Richard Sears was making thousands of dollars from watch sales every month, but the cost of refunds and replacements began to eat into those profits. That's when Sears had the bright idea of hiring someone to repair the defective watches, providing a new way to honor his guarantee while also protecting his profits. The search for a repairman led Sears to Alva Roebuck, a watchmaker from Indiana who quickly went from Sears' employee to his business partner. Together, Sears and Roebuck expanded the business to include other kinds of jewelry. Then, they branched out further, selling sporting goods, clothing, bicycles, baby buggies, and an array of household products that were difficult to source outside of cities. For its first 30 years, Sears, Roebuck & Company was strictly mail order only. It was a winning business model in the late 19th century, as nearly two-thirds of the country's population lived in rural regions. By capitalizing on the newly completed transcontinental railroads, Sears and Roebuck were able to build a loyal customer base in the parts of the country with the most untapped market potential. The only real competition for mail order in those days were the general stores scattered throughout America's small towns. But since most of those were understocked and overpriced, they really weren't much of a threat to Sears. There were other mail order retailers as well, including Montgomery Ward, which had been selling city goods to rural clients for more than 20 years before Sears stole its thunder. As you'd expect, the two companies were rivals pretty much from the start though Sears grew so rapidly that it had outpaced Montgomery Ward by the late 1890s. In the year 1900, Sears' sales reached $10 million, compared to Ward's $8.7 million. The rivalry had grown unfriendly by that point, too. For example, Richard Sears supposedly made his catalog shorter and narrower than the Ward catalog, so that when customers stacked the catalogs at home, the smaller Sears one would always wind up on top. It's hard to overstate the importance of the railroad to Sears' success, as was the case for many American companies of the era, but the Postal Service deserves a nod as well. In 1896, it introduced free, guaranteed mail delivery to every U.S. citizen, even those living in remote regions of the country. That made it much easier for Sears and its competitors to get their catalogs into the homes of even the most out-of-the-way customers. And while most of us would consider those catalogs junk mail today, they were anything but junk to 19th century Americans. In fact, they actually served a purpose not too far off from how we use the internet. 
Anywhere, at any time, people could flip through the pages of a catalog and learn about a new piece of technology or some breakthrough product and then buy it for themselves. That sounds a little silly at first, to think of a company's advertisements as some kind of educational tool, but that is how the Postal Service seemed to view them. It shipped Sears catalogs for just one cent per pound because they were considered public aids in the spread of knowledge. It's sometimes said that Sears taught Americans how to shop, and there's certainly some truth to that. For millions of shoppers, the Sears catalog was their first introduction to mail-order services, including shipping, substitutions, and returns. For better or worse, the catalog also played a role in the development of America's consumer culture. That's especially true when you look at how the catalog grew year after year as more products were added to meet that growing demand. In the early 1900s, for example, the Sears catalog was over 500 pages, and at its peak in 1915, it had swelled to over 1,200 pages. It featured 100,000 items, weighed 4 pounds, and raked in more than $100 million in annual sales. Of course, the good times couldn't last forever, and after 1915, the catalog began to shrink. The nation had urbanized quite a bit by then, and the automobile age was dawning. Suddenly, rural consumers were moving to cities where easy access to stores lessened the allure of mail-order services. Sears kept track of the shifting market, and in 1925, it responded in earnest by opening its first physical department store on Chicago's west side. By that point, Richard Sears and Alva Roebuck were both out of the picture. Roebuck had sold his interest in the company decades earlier, and Sears had retired in 1908 and then passed away in 1914. So instead, the company's foray into brick-and-mortar retail was overseen by General Robert E. Wood. A military man might seem like an unusual pick to manage a retail company, but Wood had previously worked with Montgomery Ward and was also well-served by his background as a procurement officer on the Panama Canal Project. That experience gave him a strong working knowledge of how to quickly and affordably ship large amounts of goods around the country, which was key to Sears' retail success in the next few decades. Under Wood's leadership, Sears expanded to neighborhoods well beyond the urban centers it initially targeted. By 1929, just prior to the start of the Great Depression, the company operated more than 300 department stores nationwide. That growth continued even during the Depression, thanks to Sears' focus on catering to the working class. Instead of offering high-end fashion and expensive home goods like those found in most department stores, Sears emphasized practical items, such as socks, underwear, sheets, and towels. It was also one of the first department stores to target men by selling tools and hardware. That practical approach to shopping allowed Sears to thrive amidst one of the worst economic downturns in history. By 1939, the number of Sears stores had nearly doubled, with well over 500 spread across the country. World War II put a halt to the chain's expansion, but when the fighting was over, Sears went right back to it. By the time General Wood left the company in 1954, the number of Sears stores had passed 700. The company had also expanded across borders, both north and south, moving into Mexico in 1947 and into Canada in 1952. 
Sears remained a retail giant for the remainder of the 20th century, though it did start to slip a bit in the 1970s when big box retailers like Target, Kmart, and Walmart hit the scene with considerably lower prices. Although Sears had been a symbol of thrift in its early days, it gradually became the realm of upper-middle-class shoppers. Most bargain hunters had abandoned the chain by the 1980s, and in 1991, Walmart officially overtook Sears as the nation's largest retailer. Today, we're firmly in the age of online shopping, and by all accounts, Sears is now on its last legs as a company. There are less than 50 stores left in North America at the time of recording, and business isn't exactly booming at any of them. In fact, there's a decent chance you haven't stepped foot in a Sears store in quite some time, or maybe never at all. Of course, in modern America, a good brand never dies. Just ask Toys R Us. It's possible Sears will live on in some form for another century and change. But even if the company truly is on its way out, the market made on American culture will be with us for a long time to come. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us at TDIHCshow. You can also send your feedback directly by writing to this day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 